Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB AM 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm especially excited today to have uh, a guest who happens to be my cousin, and I'm very proud of her, and her name is Shannon Foley-Hen. Shannon is the director of the Love, Hope, Strength Foundation, um, an organization that turns concerts into life-saving events. And the organization was founded in 2007 by Mike Peters, uh, lead singer for a Welsh rock band called The Alarm, and James Chippendale, who is president of Ascend Insurance Brokerage. Um, Both of these gentlemen um, battled and, and beat Uh, leukemia and decided to form this organization. Welcome to the show, Shannon. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy we finally got you on here. I'm happy too. Snowy morning in Denver here, but nothing like what you guys have been dealing with on the East Coast. So happy to be joining you. And did you just get a fresh storm? We did overnight, and it's been the the most bizarre storm. I feel like I'm back east. (laughs) <laughs> but, uh, it'll be gone by the time we're done this call because that's just the way that Colorado rolls. So I'm I can't complain. <laughs> that's right. It's and it's beautiful there. Yeah. Uh, listen, we're going to talk a little bit about um, you and your growing up years, which I happen to know a little bit about. But for the for the listeners, um, Shannon uh, grew up one of five children, and um, I'm going to let you take it from there. Talk a little bit about um, what it was like growing up in the Foley clan. Well, aside from having really tough cousins, it was an amazing <laughs> <childhood>. <laughs> Crazy cousins. I grew up in the middle of five in um, Lafayette Hill, Pennsylvania, and was lucky enough to have a couple of cousins around the corner. Um, in fact, I'm, I'm one of 36 first cousins, including Sue. Um, so it was great. We, we grew up in Lafayette Hill. I went to school at Mount St. Joe's in Flower Town, an all-girls Catholic school. And um, I would say that we, you know, we kind of had the ideal life and went up to Boston College for university. And um, it was shortly after I was away at college that I uh, learned the news that my younger brother, Ryan, uh, was diagnosed with testicular cancer. And for the, the well, I shouldn't say for the first time, but for the first time it hit really close to home within the inner circle. Um, and that, that shook things up a bit in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, everything leads to another thing. And I would say that that was probably the first step of putting me on the path towards running Love, Hope, Strength today. Yeah, that, that was a, you know, it was a big kind of um, wake-up call for, for all of us. Um, I want to go back for a bit. Um, before the year, you've had quite a, a colorful um, career and uh, you've done a lot of things before becoming director of Love, Hope, Strength. So um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about uh, your years um, running the safaris to Africa. Those were some exciting times for you. It was. I have done a lot. And, and um, you know, I look at the I look at my career as a whole and I say, how did this all 
how did I get to all of these crazy places? But it all led me to what I'm doing today. So um, out of college, I went into marketing, and uh, my, my degree was marketing at Boston College, and um, had a, a career at Grant Thornton, one of the big accounting firms, and moved into a position there to be the director of brand identity for the U.S. offices of Grant Thornton. So I had a lot of a lot of really great opportunities to, to travel around the United States, but then also traveled overseas quite a bit to our corporate headquarters in London, and um, just had a, an amazing life and an amazing career. And um, during that time, Ryan was diagnosed and had a um, a, you know, a tough battle with cancer, but came through the other end and beat it. And at that time, I had a friend who was living in Africa, and I, I figured, you know, you only live once, and Ryan was doing great. So I hopped on a plane and went over to visit, and I landed in Africa, Kenya to be specific. Mm-hmm. And the second I got off the plane, the safari guide that I was staying with took one look at me and said, you're never leaving. <laughs> and at first, I was a little bit scared. I thought, what it was. <laughs> Am I going to be sacrificed to the goats? What's going on here? <laughs> um, but he he saw something in me that I didn't even know was there in myself, but he could tell that um, Africa was really going to get into my blood and stick with me. So I went on a 10-day trip over there, and at the end of it he said, you know, you should stay. Um, you know, you don't need to get back on the plane. And I said, you're crazy. I went back to – at the time I was living in San Francisco. went back to San Francisco, back to my job. And um, a couple months later, I was I was actually laying in bed with a broken back. Um, I had just had an injury from a wakeboarding accident, and I had an email from James Robertson in Kenya saying, I have a job for you. Uh, we need someone to rebrand our safari company and do some marketing for us. So I called my doctor, and I said, how long till I can ride a horse? And he said, two months. Uh, so I emailed back. I said, I'll be there in two months. And I... I Packed up my bags, uh, left Grant Thornton, left corporate America, moved over to Africa and got into the safari business for a year. And um, and the rest is history, they say. Yeah. It was an incredible year, and he was right. I mean, Africa is in my blood, and, um, you know, there, there's a saying, you get bitten by the bug. I was bitten by the bug, and I now still sell safaris in Africa, but that was what led me to be able to lead trips all over the world. And... Um, and that's exactly what I do now. You know what? It's so interesting to me. It, that was a very spontaneous move, and, and I remember it. And, you know, you just said that uh, James Robertson saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And I, I'm wondering, you know, um, there were a lot of twists and turns before you got to this spot. And is there something or was there something in you when you were younger um, that I didn't know about um, that really was a calling for you? Or, or, or do you feel like it really was this this gentleman that kind of saw something that you didn't? You know, it's it's funny. I've asked myself that same question several times, and I think I think subconsciously there was something inside of me the whole time. I mean, I look back sometimes at some of the silly photographs. I mean, you know, birthday parties where we were all at mom and dad's house, or um, you know, over at your house, and it, some of the things that I I found myself connecting with. I mean. At the age of 14, one of the things I wanted most for my birthday was a safari outfit from Banana Republic. And I have the cheesiest photo of of myself wearing this Banana Republic shirt with a giraffe on the front and a safari hat. 
and green camo pants. And I thought I was like the bee's knees. I thought I was the coolest thing on earth for having this outfit. (laughs) But I have no idea what a girl from, you know, Lafayette Hill needs with a safari outfit. But for some reason, Well, we can be sure that Molly would not have been found dressed in that. That's that's exactly right. I was trying to make my identity and not steal my sister's clothes. Exactly. (laughs) But, you know, my mom found that photo one day and sent it out to me, and I started laughing. I was like, God, maybe I did know before I knew that. (laughs) That's very telling. It is. It was bizarre. But, you know, I I had these, these, you know, our parents, my parents traveled a lot, as I'm sure you remember. You had to come over and babysit. Right. And, um, you know, my parents had this, gave us this, this, wonderlust for lack of a better word um and i i was probably the first one to look at their travel books when they came home i loved looking at their photo books i mean maybe i didn't always know that it was going to be africa or or kenya but i certainly think i knew that that i had the bug to travel and um at a young age you know when i was when i was about 13 my parents um put me into an exchange program where i had a girl from germany come and live with us for a summer and then i took you know, the turn to go back and live with her the following summer when I was 14. And I remember being scared to death of, of, you know, leaving my comfort zone, especially not with a family member, but going over on my own and living with this girl in a foreign land, but had come back with with the bug to want to do more of that. So I, I think that, yeah, I think there was a path that started at a young age, and part of it I didn't know about, and part of it was my parents, you know, very being very calculated about exposing me to different things and then just running with it. Yeah, you, they were um, and still are that way as uh, with with the kids um, as far as saying, you know what, life is short and, and try new things and go out and do new things and don't necessarily follow the traditional path. I always love that about them. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, every time an opportunity comes my way, um, I ask myself, why not? Mm-hmm. And there are times that there is a not, you know, Sometimes the knot is you could be fired. You can't do that. <laughs> right. We can't do everything um, we want. <laughs> yes. Sometimes the knot is jumping out of a plane, and I say, you know, you could die. You might want to not want to do that. Right. Um, but really, for the most part, I've, I've lived my life by asking myself that question. That certainly came from my mom and dad saying, you know, you only live once, and, um, you know, opportunities only come along so often. And, and the opportunity to pick up and move to Africa and be in the safari industry, I mean, I, I can't. I can't say that that's happened to many people. So that right. was certainly a why not question, and there was no reason not to get up and do it. Yeah. Well, you know what, Shan? That's that's brave. I mean, that takes courage to do something like that, and um, that's certainly a quality you have. And I've, I, I saw that in you at a young age. Well, it, it helps to know you have a great family behind you, too, so that, you know, when I did pack up and, you know, sell all my belongings, I knew I had somewhere to come home to. I knew that if things went really awry and— you know, I, I was there for a month and that this just was insane. I had a family that, you know, would welcome me back with open arms and help me get my feet back on the ground. And, right. and that's exactly what they did when I moved back to the States. I didn't know where to live or what to do with myself. I, I knew I wanted to sell safaris and be involved in that world, but um, I didn't really know what that meant. And luckily, you know, I had a brother-in-law who was willing to take me in and, and give me a job up in New York. And you know, one thing led to another, and here I am in Denver because of because of him. Um, right, right. So family and connections, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, you, you just never burn bridges. You keep your doors open, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, everything will, will work itself out in the long run. Right. 
Um, you know, I wanted to talk just briefly about your time at the Mount. Um, Shannon attended Mount St. Joe Academy, which is an all-girls school here in um, Flowertown, just outside of Philadelphia, and um, which my daughter happened to graduate from as well. And I, I, I'm curious to know if the, you know, being amongst all the girls at a school like the Mount um, helped to shape you as far as leadership and, and confidence. Absolutely. I think if you if you asked me that while I was at the Mount, I would have said no. I would have said I needed to be around boys. I needed right. <laughs> to be at school. Right. Um, you know, they were stifling me. But, you know, absolutely. I mean, looking back, I realized that being in an environment where, you know, I could focus on education and I didn't have to worry about what I was wearing. And, you know, it was um, it was very empowering. It, it, it's it's incredible to look back at the friendships I had there and realize that they're all still here today. Um, you know, I, plenty of the girls from the Mount were all at my wedding last year. And, um, just recently one of our, our friends from the Mount was diagnosed with breast cancer. And it's been amazing to see the community at the Mount rally around her and everybody pull together and, you know, figure out what does she need? How can we help? Whether it was, from daycare to, you know, going and helping with the house chores. And um, there's just a there's just a sense of family that comes out of a school like that, that, again, you know, you realize that you have people around you that support you, that allow you to take risks in life. And, you know, if the, um, it, you know, if, if the you-know-what hits the fan, right. you've got a family to come home to, whether That's it's right. your literal family or a family like, you know, we had at the Mount. So, um, I, I think it's an incredible way to, to get educated and to grow up and, and find self of I, a piece of identity when you come out of a school like that. That's right. And that, that sense of community, um, yep. you know, even outside your immediate family. It's so true. Um, talk to me a little bit about your years in Boston College. What types of activities were you involved in there? Hmm. Um, well, let's say drinking. Other than <laughs> <laughs> taking full advantage of the social... Um, I would say that that was top priority for me. <laughs> you know, um, mom and dad are going to hear this radio show, by the way. They will not be surprised. You know, I learned it from them. Let's let's be realistic here. Um, <laughs> we are Irish after all. <laughs> no, um, I mean, Boston College was amazing. I, um, I ended up there on a whim. I applied to BC because Patrick did. You know, my older brother applied there, so I thought it must be cool. Right. right. Um, I never visited. I applied to a lot of schools. Um, I applied to a lot down south because that's where Molly went to school, my older sister. Um, Villanova, of course, because your brothers and, and our parents and everybody all went to Villanova. Right. Um, As did my, by the way, Tim, my board operator is a Villanova grad. Ah, I love <laughs> a wildcat in the room. Hello, yep. Tim. so we um yeah i I did what i was supposed to do i applied to all the schools i was supposed to apply to and um some of them i got into some i did not and i got waitlisted at at boston college and i had a a roommate at villanova and i just thought i cannot go to villanova i cannot go that close to home i don't want to break the mold popping in right right it was just it was too much it was too close to home right right um so i went to boston college sight unseen and I absolutely loved it there. There, it's such a you know a, a young community. So, um, you know, of course, being friends within my own school wasn't enough for me. So I, I got a, a bartending gig downtown, and I got to meet 
you know, students from from all over Boston at one of, you know, however many hundreds of schools there are in that city. Right, right. And then my, my younger brother and sister um, followed in my footsteps and ended up going there as well. And that was even better because now I had a taste of, of family up in Boston and mm-hmm. um, I got to experience college with them. Um and, you know, show them the ropes. Yeah. So it was awesome. It, again, I have, you know, all of my roommates are, are dear, dear friends. Um, in fact, Kristen Richmond is um, was my college roommate, and she was the one that originally went to Africa that I went to visit over there. And she opened the door for me to, to do what I do today. Right. So it's and, – and a girl from the Mount, Jen Carroll, who went on to be one of the top chefs, uh, traveled over there with me for the first time. So – you know, these, these girls and, and friends that I've met along the way at these schools have, have stuck with me and been by my side for some of the biggest steps in my life. You know, it's so, isn't it so great that we can stay connected with people even when they're not in the same state as we are? Um, you know. looks a little scary that way. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sometimes people pop back up that maybe you didn't, you know, weren't expecting. Yeah, yeah, it's, I mean, it's amazing. I, I for... For all of the time I spend on Facebook and being able to stay connected with with people, it it is an amazing thing, and it's kind of like the cell phone. What did we do before it? Right, <laughs> exactly. You know, and we're social, so so we enjoy it. We use it for the right reasons. Yes, that's true. I don't. I, I get worried about what the next generation is going to use it for because I'm I'm already a little bit scared of how teenagers use it today. But yeah, now yeah. I'm I'm aging myself and making myself feel really old that I say space like that. <laughs> <these days. laughs> Listen, we should mention. Um, I'm going to brag a little bit about you and the fact that um, in addition to being the director of this wonderful organization, you're also incredibly artistic. Um, as are all your siblings. Did you do um, any art at Boston? I did. I was a um, so I was a major in business, and I was a I did a concentration minor in art. And when I first went to Boston College, um, I, I wanted to be an art major. Mm-hmm. And my dad very wisely told me that I could always be a business major who went into art. I couldn't always be an art major that went into business. Right. <laughs> and he steered me down the path of, of getting a business degree, which I'm very grateful to him for. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I was, a, I, I was an art minor and um, took some incredible classes there and, and, again, met some amazing people. Um, one of my, my classmates at the time went on to be Elizabeth Hasselbeck, at the, who's now on the – I guess she's, well, uh, she's she was on Fox, The View. I, I, don't, I don't know what she's up to today. Yeah, I think she's at Fox. Yeah, I think she is at Fox. Yeah. Um, but just, you know, a great, great, great place to do it. I, you know, it, it was it was better for me to – my dad was right. It was better for me to come out with a, a business degree out of Boston College. But I I did a lot of art. I miss the art. I don't do it a lot these days. Um, my husband's always nagging on me that I need to pull out some canvases and, and do stuff like that. But every once in a while you can find me doing a mural for a friend's nursery or something along those lines. So that's yeah. where I dabble these days. That's great. It's a great yeah. thing to do just to kind of decompress, and you need that, you know, in the work that you do. I definitely do, but I don't do it enough. It's yeah. something um, I need to make more time for. That's right. Um, Listen, Shan, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back in a few minutes. We're here with Shannon Foley-Hen, director of the Love, Hope, Strength Foundation. Uh 
It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks. And some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the Mutual Fund Store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your Mutual Fund Store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow! Infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes. Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will. If we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har, we can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. 
Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC, member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm in the studio today um, with my cousin, Shannon Foley-Hen. Actually, Shannon's with us by phone, um, calling in from Colorado, where she lives. Shannon is the director of the Love, Hope, Strength Foundation, um, an organization that uh, runs concerts in very interesting and exotic places uh, to raise money for cancer. Um, Shannon, I'd love to, to get right into how you landed this job and how this all came about for you. So about seven years ago, I was looking for a way to give back to the cancer community. As you know, Ryan, my brother, was a, and still is, a cancer survivor. And um, at the time, Aaron had done the Live Strong Challenge, and was, you know, which is the cycling event here in, well, they're all over the country. She did one in Colorado. And I was looking at what my options were to get involved, and I realized they were pretty much, I could do a cycling event, which I didn't do. Um, I could do a walkathon, which I wasn't so into, and you know, black tie dinners, things along those lines. And none of them really resonated with me. So I kept my eyes out, and I heard one day about a couple of guys that were trying to do a concert on the base camp of Mount Everest. And I thought, bing, 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 that's me. That's very cool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, it sounded very, very cool. So I did a little bit of research. Um, you know, asked around, found out who was putting it on, contacted these guys, and um, said, you know, I want to be, I want to be involved. But before I do sign up, I want to know where's the money going, um, who's running this trip, you know, what's the plan, what's let let me see the whole model, who are the sponsors, you name it. Right. And um, apparently, I asked I asked a lot of questions, <laughs> and and good <laughs> and questions, couple, and and good questions, and yes. good questions. And um, about a month later, I was sitting in a meeting in um, Dallas, Texas, and was writing the mission for the Love, Hope, Strength Foundation and was handed a um, a checkbook with a small loan um, from the founders to go and start the Love, Hope, Strength Foundation and put on the very first concert on the base camp of Mount Everest. So yep. um, it was just a, you know, again, one of those everything happens for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, when they, when I met them, the idea of this concert and this foundation was in its inception and, um, they were, they were outsourcing a lot of the plan. And, you know, I looked at the business model and having run safaris in Africa, um, I knew how to put together a trip, a large trip for a group of people and Mm -hmm. having built brands and done marketing and, and business development, you know, I just, I looked at what their goals were and said, yeah, I can, I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and there it was. So um, I I never looked back. We we literally went on to do the first concert on Base Camp of Mount Everest, which is now a documentary called Everest Rocks. Right. And we funded for the country of Nepal their very first mammography machine and the first radiation machine. And um, now we go around the world and we do these these concerts in crazy places all over the world. And 
and I've really been fortunate. We we returned to East Africa and did a concert on top of Kilimanjaro and in Tanzania, and we were able to fund the cancer center there. So mm-hmm. I've been able to keep my my ties to Africa, which is really important to me. Right. And and yeah, and the rest is history. So seven years later, and here we are, and now I'm talking to you on the phone about it. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> You're on my radio show. How cool no, is I'm that? On your radio show. <laughs> Listen, you know, you're talking so wonderfully about these these concerts in these beautiful places, but it's there's a lot behind the scenes. There's a lot involved. I remember when we were at somebody's wedding, maybe it was Aaron's, and you had been practicing breathing in high altitude places by sleeping in some kind of funky tent. <laughs> right? Yes, it was very Michael Jackson of me. It was um <laughs> An oxygen deprivation tent that I was sleeping in. We have an incredible sponsor. It's a company called Hypoxico, and actually they're based up in New York. Um, But they have equipment that simulates being at extreme altitudes. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, when I'm out there organizing these trips, I don't really have the luxury of of succumbing to altitude sickness and um, you know, neither do does the rest of our team. But we've right. been we've been really fortunate to have these guys, not, you know, loan equipment or or, or rent it to us at, at discounted prices. But yeah, I was sleeping in this tent, and um, in fact, right after that wedding, I did something really, really ridiculous. And I came back from being at sea level, and when you sleep in these tents, you're supposed to gradually increase the the altitude so you're you're really decreasing the level of oxygen inside the tent is what you're doing right right simulates being at a higher altitude so you're supposed to gradually decrease the level of oxygen so that you don't go from you know zero elevation to 18,000 feet Mm -hmm. and I got home and had a few drinks on the plane and got back and turned the oxygen down and actually turned it the wrong way and I went from zero to 18,000 feet and woke up in the middle of the night extremely ill from altitude sickness. <laughs> that could have been a lot more dangerous. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, there's giant warnings. Do not do, do this. Do not and do this. And did the exact, the, that exact thing. Um, when you but, told you know, I'm, I'm when you told me about the prep work for this trip, I, I knew that it was nothing I would ever be able to do. <laughs> Well, I am really fortunate. I mean, you know, I live in Colorado, and the, the only way to really train for altitude is to be at altitude. So yeah. I'm I'm grateful that I have the mountains here, and I have to say I've gotten really lazy over the years. When we, we first did the base camp for Mount Everest, I was, I was out, like, every other weekend hiking 14ers and getting myself in shape and yeah. you name it. And then this past year we returned, and I— I basically, you know, got into the gym the week before the hike and put a backpack on and said, well, I guess this is it. (laughs) Here we go. I did it before. I should be able to do it again, I guess. Right. Um, I don't recommend that. I recommend working out when you do these hikes. Yeah. I've uh, I've taken advantage that I'm pretty sure my body can make these things. I don't know how much longer it's going to hold up, though. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're in pretty good shape, Shen. Um, we'll see. We'll see. You know, we should point out um, for the listeners that the, your your organization is is very specifically focused on on doing two things. Um, there, you know, there's a lot of um, fundraising for cancer research and and all types of things, and and you're looking to help build cancer centers around the world um, where perhaps they don't have the funds for them, and also you've expanded the international bone marrow database 
um, which those numbers, which I was looking at yesterday, are, are very impressive. Um, talk about how, how you, you know, came to um, want to do specifically those two areas, focus on those two yeah. areas. Yeah, absolutely. So when we, when we started the foundation, one of our founders, you mentioned them earlier, um, James Chippendale is, is a leukemia survivor who lives in Dallas, Texas, and Mike Peters is a two-time cancer survivor that lives in Wales. And when they met um, and started brainstorming about the foundation, um, they, they basically met because they were both going through and had gone through cancer and realized that the music world had not come together in a way to support the cancer world. So when, um, when Mike was going through his treatment, he could see a mountain from his hospital room, which was Mount Snowden in Wales, the highest point in Wales. And he made a promise to the doctors and nurses in his hospital that one day when he was well enough, he was going to hike to the top of that mountain and he was going to do a concert and raise money for cancer care in their community. Mm-hmm. And very specifically, um, one of the doctors said, do me a favor, when you, when you raise that money, don't, don't send it into research. Make sure that it stays right here in the community and that we improve this hospital. And he, he said, absolutely. It's, you know, it's one thing to have incredible advanced advances in cancer care, but it's another thing to have access to it. That's right. And um, when Mike and James met and, and Mike told this story to James, um, James being from Texas with that bigger is always better mentality, mm-hmm. uh, said, you know, if, if you're going to go to the highest point in Wales and show people, you know, what you can do, why don't we go to the highest point in the world and show people what cancer survivors are really made of? So that's what we did. And as I mentioned, we went to, to Everest and we, um, we did exactly what, you know, the, the guys had set out to do. We funded a, a program right there in the community, you know, in the shadows of Mount Everest. And, and it, was, it was incredibly successful and it was incredibly empowering to know that, you know, while we have these incredible advances, not everybody has access to them. And knowing that we were providing the very first mammography machine for our country was, was incredible. Right. So as the years went on and we were doing, you know, these different hikes, we went to Machu Picchu. Um, as you know, my sisters came along and, mm-hmm. and we've, um, we've been working on a mobile cancer unit in Peru and went on to Kilimanjaro and Mount Fuji. We had a lot of musicians reach out to us and say, it's really great what you guys are doing around the world, but I have no interest in hiking a mountain. Mm-hmm. However, um, you're welcome to come to my concert and raise awareness and raise funds for your programs. So we, we started doing that. Mm-hmm. And, um, we quickly realized that if, fans came into a concert and they had money in their pocket. They were using that money to buy beer, buy merchandise, buy a CD, buy a T-shirt. They certainly weren't going to hand it over to some cancer foundation. And the other thing was that every person who heard about what we were working on, um, while they thought it was wonderful that we were were building a cancer center in Africa, they wanted to know what we were doing specifically in their community for their family member, their brother, their mother that had cancer. And that mm-hmm. was a fair question. Right, right. Um, and we, we just kind of felt like a waste of space. We were Here we were at these concerts with, you know, sometimes tens of thousands of fans, and we just felt like there has to be something more we can do than just sit here and ask people for money to raise a cancer, you know, raise money for a cancer center halfway across the world. Right. So that's where we came up with this crazy idea of what if we could literally save lives at this concert? And the uh, the thought process was if we could just get people onto the National Marrow Registry during a concert, all these people had been affected by cancer, and rather than asking them for money, we could ask them for, to take action. Mm-hmm. 
so we test marketed it at a few concerts, and it was incredible. Um, we we really we found that exactly that was happening. People wanted to help. You know, when when your family member is diagnosed or a friend is diagnosed with cancer, there's nothing that you can do for that person other than be there as a support system. But here is an opportunity to literally be the the one person on earth to save the life of someone with cancer. And we've been doing this for five years now at concerts and festivals all over the United States. We've now expanded to the UK. We're working on Mexico right now. And we've registered about 55,000 people to the registry, and we are creeping up on about 1,000 matches for patients that need transplants. That's that's incredible. Um, it is. It's, it's amazing. And what's, what's even more incredible is to see how the music community has rallied around it. I mean, you know, our mission of saving lives one concert at a time has, has expanded. Um, we've, you know, we've, we now realize there are multiple ways that we can save lives through music. And what's really incredible is every time we find a match, we know exactly what concert it came from. So we're able to call up the, the musician, we're able to call up the promoter, the venue, and all the volunteers and say, you're responsible for finding a match for, you know, a 10-year-old boy with leukemia in Oklahoma. Yeah. And that is, there's nothing more powerful than knowing that you had a hand in giving somebody a second chance at life. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And I'm on the list, by the way. Well, good. Because you I'm came glad to... you're on the list. Somebody will be very lucky to get your stem cells one day. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get to donate one day. I do, too. I mean, it's, it's an incredible thing to be able to do. And, yeah. and as you know, that's how I met my husband. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy was his brother's bone marrow donor. And then his brother is now eight years cancer-free. Right. And... Um, and Jeremy was a volunteer for the foundation, and and uh, I used to always say, no, no guy is ever going to put up with what I do. You know, travel, yeah, go travel around the world with rock stars and and right, <laughs> and have fun, Please. and I'll just be yes. here waiting for you. Yeah, yeah no, just hang out here. Don't worry about it. Right. Um, but you know, talk about a guy that really understands what I do, and um, and was willing to, you know keep up with with my crazy lifestyle and now he has joined me in my crazy lifestyle right we now run the foundation together and um i'm really grateful to have somebody that you know believes in in what i do and is willing to to go and do it with me and and let's face it he puts up with my crap so that's good too. <laughs> we all know that <laughs> yes that is i'm so glad we're, we're giving a shout out to jeremy that was that is a great story how the two of you met yeah it is it's, i yeah. mean it's it's one of those like really the stories like this actually happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they do, and and here we are. So yeah. yes, waiting um, thirty plus years to find him was was apparently worth it. Yeah, we're all happy for that. <laughs> Shan, and talk about darn good wedding. That's and it wasn't. We could talk a whole show on the wedding, Shan. Maybe I'll post some pictures from the wedding for. Uh, you know, for the show, instead of a nice headshot, I'll put some wedding photos up. <laughs> there we go. But, you know, what happens, the devil's thumb saves the devil's thumb. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Listen, t- talk a little bit about your last trip. You just came back from a wonderful trip to, was it was it Tanzania? Am I... Tanzania, yes. yes. And because I wanted to, you know, Shan, you're, you've done a tremendous amount of traveling, and you've seen things that a lot of people um, don't have a chance to see in their lifetime. And I want you to talk a little bit about that trip, but I want to ask you how it is that you stay so hopeful and positive 
um, when seeing some of the suffering, especially in the children that you've seen in your travels? Yes. So the, the I guess it's about two weeks ago, um, I took a group of 11 incredible women um, ranging from 35 to 65 over to Tanzania to um, help out at the cancer center that we funded over there. So backtracking about five years ago, we did a concert on top of Kilimanjaro in, in Tanzania, and the funds that we raised from that we put into uh, building the infrastructure for the first children's cancer center in Tanzania. Mm-hmm. And it's run by an absolutely amazing woman uh, named Dr. Trish Scanlon. And Trish is from Ireland, so I think there was a little bit of the, uh, you know, the the old school blood flowing through the veins there that made me connected with her. Right. Um, but she's she's amazing, and she she went to Africa for what she thought was just going to be a short time to help out and saw this great need. Um, at the time, the kids were all being treated in one room at a hospital. Um, there were three kids to a bed. One of the parents would stay in the room with the kids while the other two parents slept outside. Um, the conditions were just, they were horrific. I mean, more more kids were dying from staph infections than they were from cancer. It, mm-hmm. was, it was a really tough situation. Um, and the survival rate, you know, in the United States with cancer is, is roughly 80% if caught early. And when in, when you look into the third world, it can drop to as low as 10 to 30%. Um, so Trish had this, this mindset that, A, we need to get these kids out of this room and we need a facility that's specific to them and equipment that's specific to them. And we came in and helped to fund that project. And um, about a year later, we asked Trish how she was doing and she said um, she's overwhelmed. I mean, she had every single bed in the new facility was filled. Um, she's the only oncologist there. And what she really needed was extra hands um, and more doctors to help out with all of these kids. So we made a commitment to her that we were going to raise money to help her pay for additional doctors um, at the hospital. And the week that we wrote her the first check to pay for those additional hands, she was diagnosed with breast cancer herself. Oh, my goodness. um, And had to leave Tanzania to go back to Ireland to get access to the best treatment, which is telling right there that she had to, you know, go to Ireland to go get that. Mm -hmm. And um, the timing couldn't have been better. I mean, here we had just written her this this check for funding for these um, additional hands, so the additional hands were able to come over from the United States, actually. Um, Trish was able to go back to Ireland and get her treatment, and in August, um, she returned, finishing up her breast cancer treatment and doing extremely well, Good. and um, yeah, she's doing amazing, and she went back to the kids in, in August, and we said, look, this year, not only are we going to send funds over, but we're going to send helping hands over as well. So in January, we went over with this team of 11 women, and we we filled up every ounce of our suitcases with about 1,200 pounds of supplies and um, donations from from I'm sure people that are going to be listening to this this program. So thank you to all of you that donated, um, and we we helped out. We did everything from you know some of us were um, are, are not medically trained, mm-hmm. so we did things like just cleaning. The, the hospital and helping out with the kids and teaching the parents um, different skills that they could take forward, like how to make beads out of paper that they could sell as necklaces to raise money while they were sitting in the hospital, you know, looking after their kids. And um, the nurses came in and helped with changing IV lines and, um, you know, just showing ways to to treat these 
kids with the little resources that they had. Um, so it was it was a tough trip. It was definitely a very different trip than you know hiking a mountain with a bunch of rock stars. But right. um, it was um, it, it was an incredible trip. I was really grateful that you know we normally get to go over and we visit the hospitals that we support and we spend about a day there. But to be able to spend eleven days on the ground, getting to know these families and getting to know these kids was truly truly amazing yeah an eye opener Um, for sure it Uh, was and it it makes you realize you know how grateful we are that we have the care that we have here in the states and when we um pardon my french but you hear a lot of bitching and moaning these days about you know our medical system and yes it is very messed up um but we have access to this cancer care and and they really have access to nothing i mean the, the first thing that i did when i was there was I got into a taxi and was running around, you know, it took me four different shops to find a pair of scissors because they were cutting IV lines with, um, with a razor blade. One of the, the nurses couldn't find a pair of scissors in the hospital. Wow. And, it's, you know, it's not that they weren't there. I'm sure they were in another nurse's pocket, but we, right. you know, we just wanted to go out and make sure that every nurse had a pair of scissors. Yeah. And those are things that are just so simple and we just take for granted and, you know, it, it's incredible for us to be able to make these little differences that make an enormous difference in the long run. Right. Um, and the best, you know, you you asked me how do I stay positive. I mean, the day that we got there, we, um, you know, we were I was showing the ladies the hospital and we were giving them a little bit of a tour. And this gorgeous little girl in a green dress came running up to me, and I I I looked down at her and I looked at Dr. Trish and I said why does this girl look so familiar to me? And she said, that's Mwaka. And four years prior, when we opened up the hospital, this little girl was there having her um, her eye removed for ocular cancer. And I remember thinking she was so frail and she was so tiny, and I, I just didn't think there was a chance that this little girl was going to make it. And here, four years later, you know, she's running into my arms and... Um, She's actually the little girl on my Facebook page right I, now. I just saw that this morning. She just lights up that oh. photo. She is like the most adorable, most precious thing in the entire world. Yes. She's and, a- and you know, we realized that there there are a lot of kids that, that I met when I first went over there that unfortunately didn't make it. Um, but there are a lot that did. And Walk is one of them. And, you know, the the little advances that we're making over there are actually enormous advances. Yeah, right. Um, so that, I mean, that's that's what gives me hope is to be able to see you know that little girl right there just embodies everything that our foundation does. That's right. Listen, Chad, we have to take one more uh, quick break, and when we come back, sure. we'll we'll talk about the future plans for the organization. We'll be right back. Hello? Hi, Kelly. It's Sue. Are you and Joe going to the kids' game after school today? No, we are stuck in traffic again on our way to the hospital for Joe's IVIG infusion. As usual, we will be at the hospital all day and won't be home in time. This is really becoming a problem with our work and family commitments. Hey, my friend's son receives his infusions at home with Walgreens. You know they are not just a retail pharmacy. Walgreens has a national home infusion program. He used to miss school, but now the Walgreens nurses see him at home after school. Wow, infusions in the comfort of our own home? Yes, Walgreens expert infusion nurses and pharmacists are available 24-7 to provide safe, one-on-one clinical support around your schedule. 
Talk to your doctor and call Walgreens Infusion Services at 877-974-4844 or go to womentowatch.net for complete details. We will, if we ever get out of this traffic, hearty har har. We can't wait to have these infusions at home with Walgreens. Thanks. Be well. The Women's Professional Network of Villanova University sponsors and supports programming for all Villanova women in order to encourage professional growth and development. The purpose is to connect women from all five colleges to educate and ignite change. They are thrilled to have this organization to foster creative collaboration with women across all industries. For more information or to offer ideas and suggestions, please contact them at wpn at villanova.edu or visit their website at villanova.edu slash wpn. Go Nova! Are you looking for assistance with your IT demands? Would you like to know that the people you hire have your best interest at heart? InSource is one of the region's most distinguished and fastest-growing technology firms in the Philadelphia area. Their only concern is to deliver your business long-term success to avoid reacting to daily crisis. Recognized as a top employer of IT consultants, they thrive on helping their clients exceed expectations. InSource delivers reliable and effective solutions to the technology needs of both small and large businesses as well as nonprofits and does so with the goals of your business in mind. With over a decade of recognized success, InSource provides its clients with both IT staffing needs as well as putting highly qualified project teams together. InSource is also a partner of ServiceNow, the fastest growing software company in the country. Contact InSource today at 610-592-0800 or visit their website at InSourceNow.com to find the quality help you need. It's really tough for an everyday investor to find honest, personalized investment advice. Some brokers only push the latest hot stocks. And some financial advisors won't even return your phone call unless your account is worth half a million dollars. That's where the mutual fund store comes in. It's where you talk with your local advisor, someone you can meet with face-to-face, not somebody wearing a headset a thousand miles away. And your mutual fund store advisor will work with you to design an investment plan to help you get where you want to be. From day one, our advisors track your funds to make sure they're still right for you. Not everyone in the investment business can say that. The client comes first at the Mutual Fund Store with custom investment plans to fit your goals, not ours. To learn more, visit MutualFundStore.com or call the Mutual Fund Store now in East Norriton and Cherry Hill, 877-239-8330. That's 877-239-8330. When you are shopping, do you chuckle at the one-size-fits-all tags? Well, wealth management should not take a one-size-fits-all approach either. Companies offer different products and services for women, and they should. All women are different. Your plan should be as unique and personal as you are. So why are you still following your one-size-fits-all financial advisor? Financial advisor Liz Barker of RBC Wealth Management understands this. Her area of expertise is women in transition and being retirement ready. Call Liz Barker, financial advisor at RBC Wealth Management at 484-530-2806. Again, that number is 484-530-2806. Or visit her online at www.lizbarker.com to schedule your complimentary custom wealth management plan today. RBC Wealth Management, a division of RBC Capital Markets, LLC. Member NYSE, FINRA, SIPC. Welcome back, everyone, to Women to Watch. 
here on WWDB AM 860. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this morning uh, by my cousin Shannon Foley-Hen. And Shannon is the director of the Love, Hope, Strength Foundation. Um, she's she's joining us by phone from Colorado. And in the few minutes that we have left, Shannon, um, I'd love for you to tell the listeners about some of the upcoming events um, that, that your organization is going to be doing. Absolutely. And, Sue, I love that it's tough for you to say hen because I, I still can't say hen. I, I can <laughs> Shannon Foley. Oh, hen. Oh, hen. <laughs> I know. It hasn't been long enough. <laughs> Trust me. I don't know. How, I like. I, I feel like I'm. I have two personalities. I don't even know what to call myself anymore. I know. Well, you know, going from Foley to Rocco wasn't easy either. <laughs> that is very true. It's very true. Well, it doesn't help that my husband calls me Foley and I call him Hen. So it's really <laughs> difficult. Right. <laughs> oh. So upcoming events. Yes. For Love of Strength. We. Um, you know, you're actually the first person I'm talking to about these. We. We put out some save the dates yesterday, uh, which is the first that we've uh, been allowing listeners and, and our supporters in on the uh, the big news for this year. So, um, you know, we do these crazy hikes all around the world and or crazy concerts, I should say, all around the world. And this year we have three on the books, um, which is unusual for us. Mm-hmm. Um, our first one is August 16th, which is Vale Rocks, and that's our big flagship U.S. event. So. We do a big weekend in Vail, Colorado, and people come from not only all over the states, but all over the world for it. And we hike Vail Mountain, and we have the musicians hike alongside everybody, and the musicians play along the trail. Um, we do a big finale concert in the middle of Vail Plaza, and then um, we do bone marrow drives, and we raise money for mostly for our Get on the List campaign, which is our bone marrow drives. Any any big then, names that you can draw? Any we're we're not allowed to drop names just yet. Oh, Sean, um, this I was can... going to be my big exclusive. <laughs> You're letting I me can down. Reveal there there is some great news that one of our well our founder Mike Peters is going to be able to make it for this. Okay. Um, last year was his first um, event in the United States, and he is going to be able to come back this year, which is fantastic. Great. So. We're really excited about that, and okay. um, we'll be we'll be revealing the other names soon, but we're not allowed to just yet. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and then um, in October, we are going to be going to a new part of the world for us. Um, we have an event called Holy Land Rocks, where we are going to be going to Israel. And wow. um, it's more of a, a pilgrimage than it is a hike up a mountain. Um, and that is going to be to raise funds for a bone marrow registry in Israel. Wow, that's awesome. So that's taking place in October, October mm-hmm. 24th to be specific. Okay. And then finally, we are going to do our five-year anniversary on Kilimanjaro, and that's going to be taking place in January of 2015. So okay. we'll start planning for it now, but we'll leave right after the new year, so on January 5th. And um, that will be a hike and concert on top of Kilimanjaro to support the cancer center that we fund in Tanzania. That's terrific. So we're thrilled about all those events. And then every single day of the week, we have a bone marrow drive going on somewhere in the world. Um, You know, this week alone, we have 30 going on in the United States. Um, We're constantly coming through Philadelphia. We, you know, where there's music, we are typically there. And we're always looking for volunteers who want to go see a concert and help us save lives. So there's great opportunity for people to go to the website and see all the concerts that are coming up. We're, we're out on tour with George Strait right now. And, uh, we did John Oates last night and we've got G love and Brett Denon and, 
Uh, I think there's uh, some news of an Enrique Iglesias tour coming up. So there's there's yeah. lots of opportunities to help us, whether you're into hiking mountains with rock stars or you're into just going <laughs> to concerts and helping us save lives. Right. You have the coolest job on the planet, by the way. <laughs> I do. It is. I am. I am very, very lucky to do what we do. I mean, to be able to save lives every day is a really cool thing to be able to do. But the flip side of it is, you know, we do deal with cancer every day, and um, and you know, cancer really just sucks. And yeah. I'm grateful to be able to do my little part um, yeah. to to make it a little bit easier on people. Yeah. Um, so it's a great job, but it's a tough job. It too, is. But. It's a lot of work. I mean, I'm not, you know, going to sugarcoat it. It is, it's kind of exciting and you go to very neat places and you meet really interesting people, but I know how hard you're working. Um, and I'm very proud of you. Well, I'm proud of you as well. And I'm grateful that our world got to collide today. Yeah. It's awesome. Listen, it it's real awesome. important that we give um, the contact information and the website for the listeners. I love that you have the, you know, the ticker on the homepage of the website where people can see these numbers for the bone marrow database rising um, all the time. Yeah. That's really neat. So um, yeah. give us your, your best contact information should someone want to get in touch with you and also your website. Absolutely. So uh, the website is lovehopestrength.org. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a very active Facebook community, which is um, Facebook slash Love Hope Strength. Mm-hmm. And then if anybody wants to reach out to us, info at Love Hope Strength is the best way to reach me and to me, to reach my team. So, um, you know, if you want to do a bone marrow drive in your community or you just want to get involved or hear more about the hikes, um, certainly shoot us an email um, at info at lovehopestrength.org. Okay, terrific. And I'll be posting all kinds of good stuff as well. Awesome. All right, dear. Listen, have a great rest of the week, and thank, thank you so you. much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Thank you. I love you. And I love I you, will, too. And um, I hopefully be back in Philly soon. Thanks all right. for helping us get the word out. Great. Call me when you're back. I will. Bye. All soon. right, bye. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and if you have any questions for me or would like to talk to me about the show, please feel free to call me at 215-313-5561. Have a great week, everyone.